0: Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I am your host, Linda Malone, Certified Conversion Copywriter and Founder of The Copyworks. In this podcast, I interview marketing and copywriting experts on all facets of, well, marketing and copy, with an emphasis on the link between the two with a focus on creating higher conversions in your B2B business. I also include recordings from the other side of the table, where I'm interviewed by the host of other podcasts and short clips of tips from yours truly on copywriting. In short, you'll find something for everyone in the marketing and copywriting B2B world. Let's dig in.
1: My guest today is Steve Gilman. Steve is the president of Gravity Group. And while his job title is president and brand strategist, he likes to think of himself as a business storyteller, an empathic brand investigator, and guy. He loves the challenge of complex brand or marketing challenges and working collaboratively with clients to help them grow their brands. He studied both theater and marketing and directed numerous plays and ran a touring improv group, also the host of his own podcast called Brand Story, where he talks to leaders and marketers building, who are building strong brands. Steve feels that having genuine empathic conversations is the best way to learn and that time spent with someone else's journey can really teach us a lot about ourselves. So in today's interview, Steve talks about the importance of empathy in marketing, why and how to develop it, and how he got into his favorite hobby of photographing street performers. (laughs) Let's dive in. Okay, Steve, I'm excited to have you here today. I've been listening to some of your podcasts, and I have a lot of questions. So (laughs) welcome to the podcast. The first one, in your bio, like I... I always ask my guests, like, is there something interesting or something unusual about your hobbies or background that you'd like to share? And you said that you like to photograph street performers. Yeah. And i want to ask you about that. Like that's a very specific kind of niche. So can you talk about how you got into that?
2: Way back in college, I was one of those triple major nerds. So I, I had a marketing degree, a theater directing degree and an art degree. And my art degree was photography and I always just love photographing people. It has a lot to do with just being a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So I really love human stories. So it really does kind of connect to my podcast in a way. My main hobby just evolved over the years where I would go you know, and take photos in cities like most people. And Some people like to take pictures of architecture and buildings and, or beautiful sunsets. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I gravitated towards is just taking photos of people. And then I started to notice... You know, in a lot of cities, there's a lot of street performers or buskers that are either playing music or wearing a stupid costume to try to make some sort of living. And I just think that they're—it's an incredibly interesting niche that people are in that they're doing. And yeah. I just love that that group of people because they're out there performing and putting on a smile for for people and and just trying to make a dollar. So I just started taking photos of them, and now it's pretty much all I do.
1: That's interesting. I didn't think there were that many people that actually did that. The ones I've seen, there's a couple that, you know, where people try to scare the public, whether they'll stand like a statue and then a kid comes oh, up. Oh, yeah. Or there's ones that where people are, it looks like they're, I don't even know how they do this. They look like they're running and they're in motion and their clothes yes. are sort of, how do they even do that?
2: And then they- i not it. sure. Like, yeah, there's, so there's people that do that. There's people, if you go to places like LA or Las Vegas or New York, there's a ton of people that are dressed up in all sorts of different costumes. And, you know, they'll pose with you. Like in Las Vegas, there's a lot of people who dress up as showgirls. They pose with you and they want to get a tip. And that's always a bargain. They bargain with people to try to get a better tip. And I did a series that's actually called The Finger that was in some art galleries where I asked street performers to give, give me the finger as kind of a greeting. <laughs> sort of a greeting. Because I realized all day long they're, they're smiling and they're, be, you know, they're bargaining. Right. And that's a really hard gig. I can't, I can't imagine a harder way to try to make a little extra money.
0: Oh, and yeah. as soon
2: as one of them did it, like they were giving me the finger, but their face just broke out in this like cathartic joy. And so I did this whole series of street performers giving me the finger. I'll give you my Instagram address oh. and you can go and check them out. But yeah, that's one of my neat hobbies. I still try, I just traveled in September and, did about a, a ten day trip just taking photos. I do that on vacation.
1: And you you said that it's part of like your storytelling background. So let's lead into that. So you are a business storyteller. So what does it actually mean to be a storyteller? Because you know it used to be that you, a storyteller would be you know, talk to, to little kids and you tell a story once upon a time. So what? How do you see storytelling now?
2: Yeah, I think storytelling is, is one of the most powerful ways to differentiate a company from, from in their segment from their competitors. Your story can be expressed in so many different ways and comes back to what informs your brand promise, how you're going to differentiate yourselves intentionally from, from your competitors. And it comes back to the question of why should consumers care about you and your business? So whether it's B2B or B2C, knowing how to tell stories well, and using emotion is the difference between getting your point across and being remembered and not. So very early in my company, we were doing a series of training programs for the U.S. Postal Service, and you wouldn't think of that as marketing. What they were trying to do is change the behavior of some 500,000 odd employees. That's a big audience.
1: Yeah.
0: And
2: what they had done is the thing that everyone does is the boring training videos that everyone mm-hmm. ignores. So all we did is take the same information and make it a mystery story where you didn't know who was the person and who, what character was the criminal and, and committing crimes. You had to try to figure it out. So it, it ended up being one of the characters you liked uh-huh. and that made people pay attention because it was such a different take on doing those kind of programs. So you know the kind of stories we see, uh, whether they're our favorite shows or movies, the way stories are told and there being a hero and a conflict and a defining moment, and all of the classic tools of a story. That's whether it's in a play or a movie, works extremely well in marketing and storytelling for business.
1: Yeah, and that makes so much sense. And it's interesting because as you're talking, there's a food network show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I looked into the, I don't know what made me look into it, but I was kind of just reading about the background and all of the restaurants, have, you've seen the show? No, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They say that you have to have an interesting story in order to be considered. And yeah. they weave that into the beginning and I never really noticed it until I read that. I mean, I you know, I would listen to the show, but then it's, yeah. Like, it's yeah, it's true. Every like, origin is, you know, the
2: obstacle. Like every single story on that show, you've got a person who wanted, had a dream or an idea, and then they run into the immovable obstacle and the problem that they have to try to overcome. And yeah. somehow they get past it, but then they have a defining moment where it could all fall apart.
1: Yeah. And then in the end,
2: it's okay. I mean, stories are, these kind of stories are so universal and it's really, it's just fascinating to me how many companies and organizations don't take advantage of the fact that human beings, are all, we're all biologically programmed to connect with story.
1: Why so, do you think they don't as much? I mean, for the ones that don't.
2: In B2B, I think it's a problem that people think business people speak business. Like we get right. to work and we just set aside this fact that we're human. Yeah, We're still purely emotional beings. We just happen to be at work. And I think that sort of old school, like you're at work, so you're a business robot mentality kind of makes people think like, oh, well, everyone's going to buy logically. They're going to buy based on our features and benefits and what we are selling and why it's good for them, not based on a story of someone like them who had a problem and we helped solve it. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And then other companies, I think usually it's just either, it depends on what type of marketing they're doing, performance marketing, where you're just trying to get someone to click and buy a buy an iPad or buy a widget and you can measure that. It's very different than when you're doing brand marketing and you know you meet, tell stories. So I think from organization to organization, there's different levels of sophistication of how much they've embraced storytelling. But mm-hmm. the organizations that are all great organizations who are winning in their segments are usually also very good at storytelling.
1: Yeah, and it seems to be a big topic on LinkedIn and in marketing in general. Yeah. Like, do, you, do you think COVID had something to do with it where that really kind of pushed all of us to our limits in some way?
2: Yeah, it might have. I think it at least maybe heightened the conversation to where, you know, if you take away a lot of face-to-face and easy access to each other, you maybe get a little bit more intentional on how can I get other people's attention. And storytelling is one of those tools that when it's in your toolbox, you really know how to do it. Right. That, you know, with LinkedIn, for instance, you know, everyone got on there, even more and, you know, LinkedIn's changed a lot to tell their own personal brand story or to tell the story of their, you know, side gig or the thing that they're doing their own, you know, one person consulting business. So when you think of all the posts that people are doing yours included your storytelling, every single time you do it, whether it's a short snippet or whether it's a long form story. So I think it probably just heightened people's awareness that it works.
1: It seems too that there's a fine line <laughs> between oversharing and, oh, yeah, because yeah, you have the personal branding and it, it's like so much on LinkedIn is they talk about people want to be authentic, which that word's getting so overused, you know, but yet you don't want to go over the line. I mean, do you see that there's a line? And
2: You know, I don't, I'm not sure if there's a line. I think it's what works for each person's individual brand, depending on what you do for a living how personal you get, and how much you share in some segment, it might be an overshare mm-hmm. In another segment. It's perfect. It's exactly the right tone. So, it, you know, I Claude silver. who's the chief heart officer for Vayner media on, on my podcast. And her title is chief heart officer. So it's a different take on how people do HR. And it's very much connecting with people on an emotional level about what they are trying to accomplish in the workplace. So, you know, she's very transparent about what she's going through as a person, what she's struggled with in the past, that fits her brand 100%. You could think of other people that are maybe in more of a scientific realm, or maybe they're in a financial industry where some personal disclosure makes sense. But if they really opened up their heart and started pouring out how they really feel about their failures, and their fears, it might, I wouldn't say that is a wrong thing to do. Some people can make it work. It might just not fit. And that all comes down to the audience. Who's right. listening? Who are you trying to reach? And how are you going to connect with them?
1: It's also voice and tone. I, yeah, know, it
2: really I is. Yeah,
1: yeah. What's the voice of your brand? And it, it's something that I do You know, with my clients is I listen to what their customers are saying, how they talk, phrases they use. And there is an underlying vibe as well that you kind of have to you have to be empathic, which is the next thing I'm going to ask you about. Because and that's something you can develop. And and how do you define empathy? And
2: in- yeah, I think that's a great question. And a great copywriter is usually a very empathic person. I think you can develop empathy. Certainly, some people are maybe more naturally suited to be, you know, very empathic in the way that they not only understand others but are able to truly imagine themselves in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a skill you can develop. At least I certainly hope it is because we need a whole lot more of it in the world and in business. I think empathy and being empathetic is one of the ways that companies and certainly any of the people who are in the quote-unquote creative industry where you're marketing or copywriting, you have to be able to truly set aside your biases and your point of view and look at what you're doing from not only the client's point of view, but their customers and their audiences' point of view. So I think empathy is is I mean such a huge tool. Uh, as someone who's directed a lot of theater, you can't really if you direct the play for yourself, it's not going to be very good. You have to really be thinking about how the audience is going to react to every moment, every beat, and how it's going to affect them, and that's all empathy. So yeah, I think it's an incredibly important skill. I. I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not sure how easy it is for people to learn, but I'm, I've seen people through their life journey become more empathic, and uh, I certainly hope people can learn it.
1: It's interesting you say that because I was talking to my husband the other day about this exact thing where I said, I feel like the older I get, the more I feel for people, and it's yeah. to a point where there's certain certain things I just have to turn off, especially when it has to do with like animals, I'm a huge animal lover. and. Um, and if there's something on TV, even if it's a show, and there's an animal that passes away or something, like, turn this off. And I never used to be like that, so yeah. I'm wondering if that has to do with just life experience, maybe.
2: Yeah, I'm sure as as we grow and get older, we have more experiences, and and your your sensitivity and your your ability to feel empathy for others is going to grow just by the amount of experiences you have. And if you start out with a, a bias towards being empathic. I think you're going to become more and more empathic as you get older, hopefully, depending on your experiences.
0: And is empathy and emotional intelligence the same thing?
2: No, I don't think so. I think they're related. <clears throat> I think there's you know a lot of factors in EQ where empathy is a big part, but also the ability to truly listen is part of being emotionally intelligent. There's a lot of other components of it, but I think empathy is certainly a foundational element of right. emotional intelligence. And, you know, it's hard to meet someone that you would think of as being highly emotionally intelligent. They're not a very empathic person.
1: Right. They have to go hand in hand, I would think. Yeah, I had someone on my podcast that was, he, he teaches leadership, emotional intelligence to, you know, as a leadership skill. And when he first started talking to me, he said, you've been through a lot in your life. And he went on to say things about me that I said, are you psychic? Because I have been through a lot. I've been through a lot of bad stuff and, and uh, you know, I've come out of it very resilient, and very emotional. Like I'm just very aware of people. Like it's really shaped me in that way, but he says he could pick up on it because he's emotionally intelligent. And I thought that was super interesting.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, since people who are sensitive to others and empathic brothers are usually better at doing things like podcasts, they're they're maybe a little bit better at asking other people questions and getting a sense of someone because you know and a lot of times it is because they've been through a lot of heartache or loss or or different things. Those kind of things really make you grow yeah. and make you see life from different angles. So I think that has a big effect on how how emotionally intelligent we are. You know, if you if nothing ever happened to you that was challenging, you don't build a lot of skill for resilience and and being able to understand some of the harder things in life.
1: Well, it was funny because I heard some some meme or something where somebody was meeting God or Jesus, or whoever the spiritual figure was, and, and they went to this place, heaven, and they didn't have any scars. And the spiritual being said, "What you had nothing worth fighting for." Like, so you, we all had these scars that from, and that's the thing. Though, it could go one way or the other because you always hear about these people who go on these you know horrible rampages and, and kill people and it's all, well, you look at their childhood and they had a horrible childhood, maybe they were abused, but not everyone who's abused becomes this yeah. murderer. So it's like, what do you do with what your your experience is? Do you bounce back from it? Do you learn from it? Do you look at it? And I think that seems to be like a big key now to it.
2: Yeah. I think that's a very very like big part of being human. Everyone's going to get bounced around through life and have scars and it's all about how resilient you can be, what you learn along the way. And that really shapes who you are, what your character is, you know. And you know, some people their trauma was so powerful they can't escape it. But other people, maybe it's part luck, part nurture, part nature. I don't I don't really know. But it's certainly certainly there's a lot of people that have had a lot of trauma that have managed to come through.
1: The thing too is you have mentioned on your podcast that you're an introvert because I am too. Yeah, do, you, do you think that has something to do with, or is it related to being empathic? Do you think introverts are more empathic?
2: You know, I don't know. I don't know whether there's a direct correlation between that, but I I certainly know that a lot of introverts that I know tend to display a lot of empathic qualities and feel very empathic, and it may be because just how they sense and interact with the mind versus extroverts. They may seem that way. There are plenty of extroverts that are empathic. Certainly, the the way that introverts are built and there's so many different versions of it, introverts, I actually had someone on my podcast speaking to that, that that helps introverts you know, feel empowered. The challenge is that introverts just tend to be more a little bit more observant and listen a little bit more closely and then process information later. So that really relates to being able to really helps, I think, put you a leg up to be able to sense, feel what other people are going through.
1: Yeah. Sometimes in my business, it works a little bit against me because when I present like a piece of copywriting and the client, and I always do it live because I want that reaction. I want to see in real time how the reaction, and they will a lot of times just start making suggestions or what about if we said this, this, and this, and like, that's not how I think. I don't do things off the top of my head. It's, and I, I will say, and sometimes I, I literally say, you know what, I'm an introvert, I need to go into my cave with this. So let me take your feedback. And because if I try to do anything on the fly, it's just it's never going to be as good as if I can just, you know, I need to just be quiet and, and be focused. So if you have an extrovert, that in my instance, you know, extrovert as a client, and they really want to just let's just do this now. It's I have to make light of it but it just doesn't it's not the way it works
2: <laughs> yeah, it can be really challenging to have introverts and extroverts work directly with each other in certain situations like that because a lot of time an extrovert talks to be understood that an introvert wants to go process right so it's just a but then other times in other situations it can be a great combination but i can relate to that uh, when presented with really complex problems i usually don't have an instant answer i like to go back think think through it and then come up with an answer. That's not always possible in the world you've in. It is for introverts. I think it's the preferred way to process information. So you usually get a much better answer out of an introvert. It's not an instant answer.
1: Yeah. And it, it can be tough. I mean, years ago, I was part of a freelance writing group where everyone, I was on the board and there was like, it was all extroverts and me. And I would just, at the time I didn't know I was an introvert. I just thought there was something wrong with me because I wasn't like this. And I couldn't, for the longest time, it wasn't until I worked with a business coach who gave me the Myers-Briggs test and I was an INTJ that, and I argued with her over it. And she goes, the very fact that you're arguing with me means that you are an INTJ because they're like, Like (laughs) but people, people were asking like other people in the, in the group, why is Linda so timid? And I'm like, timid, I've never been called that before. And in my mind, I was going 100 miles an hour just taking in what everybody else was saying, but it was misinterpreted as not being engaged. And that's the only thing that...
2: I think we have a a really extroverted bias culture where whoever's talking the loudest and the most is supposedly in charge or has the most to say. And people interpret quiet as shyness. And I... And I think a big mistake with introversion is thinking that introverts are shy or they're afraid of Mm -hmm. certain situations, that it's just what gives you energy and what doesn't. Like an extrovert doesn't like to sit and quietly go through their thoughts or read as much as they like to be at a party. Right. An introvert introvert doesn't thrive in in a party. Extroverts can be great leaders because they have a good sense of the people that work for them and they care about them, but they have a good sense of how, where their team is emotionally. And, it, and introverts do all, all kinds of things. Most actors are introverts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I perform live improv for 20-plus years on stage, not having any script, not knowing what's going to happen, and I wasn't nervous at all. So introversion and shyness have nothing to do with each other.
1: There was someone on LinkedIn who uh, she specializes in speaking about, you know, introversion and business and, and she actually had a little pop quiz on LinkedIn and what kind of introvert are you? So I'm a social introvert because some introverts are shy. I'm not at all. But, yeah, I don't like crowds. I don't like parties. I mean, I will sit and just observing for about a half hour before I approach anybody, <laughs> but um, but when it comes to like marketing, getting back a little bit to the empathy part, so yeah. how does empathy uh, work in marketing, and how can how can we use it, especially in B two B?
2: Well, I think empathy has a huge role in marketing, and, and sometimes it's the difference between good marketing and bad marketing, or successful and not successful marketing. Because one of the things that marketers should be that they're not always is the audience advocate the people who don't want to speak from the business's point of view and come at the consumer they want to talk in the in the consumer's language about what the consumer pain points are what's happening to them and connect them on a human level empathic people do this well Mm -hmm. and i think when you see marketing that feels like it's shouting at you marketing that's telling you what what you should do or in B two B, that sort of business robot speak, where it's we're a business, so we're going to talk business at you. There's not a whole lot of empathy in that. Yeah, yeah? people are people are people. They have hopes and dreams. They're emotional beings way before they're logical beings. So they're going to make emotional decisions, whether it's about a B two B vendor or whether it's about a consumer product. So the best way to speak an emotional language is through using empathy. Right. So you can't truly figure out how people feel about what you're selling and your company and your brand, it's going to be pretty hard to reach them with a message that resonates.
1: Yeah. I used to run an online fitness course and it was it was always that fine line of walk in between. Like, it, and I actually used to use this analogy. It's like when, when I would be working out with someone and you want to give them Enough of a challenge where they feel challenged, but not so much that it's frustrating. And it's almost like with copy, it's like yeah. you give the pain points and you use the language you're using, and you describe what they're going through, and then you throw them a lifeline, like okay, we you know what you're going through, and and this is how you can you know fix or how we can help you. But if you carry that on too long, or you put it in the wrong type of marketing, it could really yeah. work against you. Right. Yeah,
2: I completely agree. I think it's a nuance and subtlety and how you communicate it has a lot to do with whether it connects, you know, and you can, there's a, there's a lot of marketing you can think of. Great marketing always feels like it's speaking to you personally, or it's speaking to at least a group of people in their language. So anytime any marketing or copy, any part of any creative going out is in the language of the business from their point of view. It's sort of like, and we all see it, there's a lot of very egocentric marketing out there. So I, I just think, especially in this day and age, people don't respond to it very much anymore.
1: Yeah. And we get bombarded with so much of it all the yeah. time. You know? Yeah, I posted on LinkedIn the other day about how people don't like being told what to do. They don't ever. And you know, again, using an example, when I was a fitness trainer, I would go into people's homes. They were paying me and they would argue with me, some of them, not all of them. But I'm like, what you hired me to do this and yet you're fighting with me. And I never yeah. understood that. I mean, some people weren't like that, but it, you know, enough of them were where it's like, you know, I don't get that. <laughs> I don't know. But if, if you were to give some advice, maybe like three tips on how a B2B company can use empathy, do you have like a couple of bits of advice that you would
2: Yeah. I, I think put time into understanding that consumers b2b consumers are not just sitting out there waiting to buy you know if they don't know about you and don't have a sense of your brand because you haven't communicated who you are and what you care about and all of a sudden you show up with a pitch then you're just interrupting you yeah you know, there's no reason for them to have even had you on their radar so just like people if you don't have a chance to get to know someone you're much less likely to buy from so I think that's one thing, one mistake, you know, especially people in the B2B space make, is they do marketing when they need the business and they put out messages about themselves the right. moment they need the business, and marketing is in a faucet. So I think that's that's one thing. The other thing is know your audience. And you know, it seems like a simple statement, and it can be extremely difficult to get that data, whether that's focus groups, whether that's you know, consumer experience surveys, whether that's any possible method that you can get information about your audience mm-hmm. to understand who they are for real. Like what what life stage are they in? Mm-hmm. What do they care about? Mm-hmm. What age are they? All those very simple things. Mm-hmm. And that what what problem are you actually solving for them is gonna make your marketing much, much stronger than if you just come at it from a point of view of what you want right to happen. My final tip would be, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I see that, you know, companies do this over and over again, where they just decide that this is where our customers are without having done any research whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, B2B clients, yeah, sure. They are on LinkedIn, but they're other places as well. They're on other social networks. They are in other functions. And again, they are people- so reaching them in different ways is
1: incredibly important. Yeah. Those are all great, great tips. And especially, you know, getting to know your audience. And we yeah. a lot of times assume too much. And- yeah, we do. I think
2: marketers can be really arrogant. Yeah. You know, I think marketers are even taught to be a little arrogant. Like I know what these people want. I'm going to make them go do it. That doesn't, that works less and less these days. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I see a lot of B2B and, and even B2C companies Market when they need the business and forget that someone has to be aware of you usually to get to another phase where they're going to consider you. They're not just sitting out there waiting for you to talk to them. So you have to be in the space and participate and speak their language and be a good citizen and tell stories. You know, it's a it's an ongoing constant thing.
1: I heard something on a podcast a while ago, and I just love this so much. I mentioned it a few times. It's a lot of companies inhale their own fumes. Like they don't, you know, <laughs> they don't They don't want to listen. It's like the value prop is created in a boardroom where, the, where everyone's just trying to one up each other and they're just, you know, it, there's not really, they're not really taking into account the customer. They're just trying to come up with something clever. And, yeah.
2: You know, and that, and that kind of comes from this like very push mentality. It doesn't work anymore. And I think it does. It comes out of boardrooms. You know, I, I, I think the question I've asked the most in my career or to executives and to people that I've worked with is why should anyone care? Mm-hmm. Like, I know you care, but why should I care? And, you know, constantly when, when those messages come out of boardrooms or someone's just like, no, no, this is what we need to say, you know, I've always looked at my role to be a pretty fierce audience advocate. And it's pretty easy to put myself in the position of the audience and go, look, that, I, no one cares about that. Right. It's not emotional. It's not going to make me notice. That's why there's so much forgettable marketing out there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking yeah. it. Where can people find you? And uh, what is your the name of your podcast again? So? Yeah, the
2: podcast is called Brand Story, right. And it's on Apple Podcast. It's on Spotify. We're growing really quickly. We have a lot of great guests coming up. We're about to go in to finish our second season and go into our third. And on it, I talk to marketing leaders and brand leaders and people who are storytellers for brands. So you can learn an awful lot. There's some really incredible guests and uh, it's it's a blast. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's that. awesome.
1: And you're on LinkedIn as well, of course. Yep,
2: absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn You can then, and if you find me, you can find the podcast or find my
1: company. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Steve. I really appreciate you taking the yeah, time. Yeah,
2: thank you. It was really great talking with you. Love that. I hope you have a great day.
0: Okay. So that wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it valuable. And if you did and you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with friends and business associates who may find it of interest as well. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, or you can reach out to me through my website at thecopyworks.com.